Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 through 28, and then we're going to be looking at several other passages as well tonight. The Bible says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, and the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Title of the message tonight is Attributes of a Pharisee. Let's pray. Lord, help us tonight as we look at uh, the Bible. Uh, Lord, uh, really, your opponents, when you walked on this earth, there's only one group of people you didn't get along with, and that, were, that was these Pharisees. Lord, uh, help us to deal with the little Pharisee that may be living inside of our hearts. Uh, Lord, where we identify attributes of a Pharisee within ourselves, may we boot that out. Lord, help us not to be that way in any way. Help us to be tender and compassionate. Uh, Lord, help us to be filled with um, fellowship. Help us to walk in the light as you are in the light. Help us to be clean, not only outwardly, but inwardly. And so, Lord, work in each of our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I have a whole lot to cover in the message tonight, so let's jump straight in to point number one. Here we go. Point number one, Pharisees have convictions. Pharisees have convictions. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew chapter 12, and look with me at verse number 2. Matthew chapter 12. And verse number 2, Pharisees have convictions. Verse 2, the Bible says, At that time, Jesus went in on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were and hungered, and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. Verse 2, But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. To the Pharisees that were there that day, that saw the disciples working their way through the fields, finding their meal, their lunch, let me commend you Pharisees on having some spiritual convictions. A conviction is a fixed or firm belief. A fixed or firm belief. I look around Christianity today, I'm sure the same could have been said about Judaism in Jesus' day. I look around and I see that too many people are wishy-washy about what they believe. They lack convictions. Churches today are filled with people who need to get a spiritual backbone. They need a spiritual backbone. They need to know what they believe. They need to hold a firm position on some things and not uh, changing with every wind of doctrine. I have no doubt that if these same Pharisees were integrated into our church culture and were members here at White Oak Baptist Church, then they would take a, stand, a strong stand on many biblical issues. They would take a stand such as the King James Version 
version of the Bible, being the right version of the Bible for the English-speaking people, they would take a stand on major doctrines. They would know how to parse and, and, and enunciate and verbalize where they stood on the letter of the law of major doctrines. These would be uh, people who were committed to fasting and prayer. They would be dedicated to knowing every letter of spiritual Truth to the Pharisees, I want to commend you for taking a stand where the law takes a stand. I want to commend you for having some convictions and not being a pushover when it comes to the letter of the law. The Pharisees had convictions. Notice number two, Pharisees are separated. Pharisees are separated. Look at Matthew chapter 9. And look at verse number 11. Matthew chapter 9. Turn over to verse number 11 there. The Bible says, And when, they, when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Is that a fair question to ask? Well, there are a couple of verses in the New Testament that would indicate that maybe the Pharisees had a good reason to ask that question. Let me read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In fact, if you want to hold your place in Matthew and flip over there and join me, you're welcome to do so. I'm going to take you to a verse in 1 Corinthians and then into a verse in 2 Corinthians. Otherwise, just listen, uh, listen intently. 1 Corinthians 5.11. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, he said, But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother to be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, there's your publican, with such an one know not to eat. Paul told the Christians at Corinth not to eat with publicans and sinners. And here the, here the Pharisees are asking Jesus, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? How about 2 Corinthians 6.14, where Paul doubles down on this thought in his second letter to the church of Corinth, the second letter recorded in Scripture anyway, where he writes, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship? Fellowship. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion? Communion hath light with Darkness, let me praise you Pharisees for making sure that you keep your distance from those who could have a bad influence on you. Let me praise you for making sure that you separate yourself from sin. Uh, separation is a biblical concept. Staying away from sin and staying away from sinful influences is found in the Word of God. In fact, Paul told again the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 6.17, the Bible says, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. Be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you as a Christian who is a husband, who is a father, and, and am a pastor. I am one 100% for standards. I think that uh, Christians need more standards in their life. I think you need standards around what you watch on TV. I think you need standards around uh, what you look at on your phone and how long you look at your phone. I think you need standards around uh, who you will 
get in a vehicle with and uh, uh, who you will have a, a meal with. I think you need standards that protect your purity. I think you need standards that protect your testimony. I think you need standards that uh, keep you from sin. I am 100% for separation. I am 100% for standards. Um, you will find very few people walking planet earth that have higher standards than Pastor Lejeune. I have so many standards. Some people may look at me and think that I am Amish. Amen. In fact, when I first got married, I told my wife to put a white cape on her head. No, I did not. I'm just teasing. That is not true. Uh, but I am all for standards. And to the Pharisees, I just want to commend them for having some standards, for being separated. Number one, we see that Pharisees have convictions. Number two, we see that Pharisees are separated. Number three, notice that Pharisees are religious. Pharisees are religious. Look down at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 14. Matthew 9, I had you in verse 11 a moment ago. Look at verse number 14. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft but thy disciples fast not. There were two groups of people who were busy fasting. Those were the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees. Now, spiritual fasting is an exercise that is normally performed by an advanced Christian. I would guess here that many of you in the room have either never fasted and prayed or only occasionally once or twice in your life fasted and prayed and Many of you here, uh, I'll throw myself in that pot as well. Uh, I'll throw that myself in the mix as well. Fasting is not a reg- or re- re- right. Fasting is not a regular part of my life. Not as regular as it ought to be. To be someone who fasts and prays on a regular basis, that is an advanced level of Christianity that very, very few obtain. In fact, this is for someone who is religiously devout. Religiously devout. To the Pharisees of Jesus' time, let me commend you for your religious activity. Scripture teaches us that the Pharisees tithed on everything. And they didn't stop there. They gave offerings over and above. They prayed. They fasted. They were faithful to the synagogue. Uh, In our time, they would have been faithful to church. They followed the traditions of the elders and they sat in the very seat or position or authority of Moses. To the Pharisees, I would like to praise you for having such a strong desire to be so religious and so involved in the outward practices of the Jewish faith. One word you could use to describe the religious activity of the Pharisees in their day is the word dedication. They were dedicated. Um, uh, we have, uh, they were dedicated to following each written rule to the letter of the law. And I just want to pause right here and say, as a pastor who is trying to grow a church, as a, 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 some, a member of this church that wants to see it grow and, and succeed, uh, you cannot grow a church unless you have people who are dedicated to the Lord and dedicated to the church and dedicated to following the Bible. And the Pharisees fit that mold. They were dedicated. They were bought in. They were faithful to the synagogue. They were faithful to their religious practice. The Pharisees were religious. They were religious. Number four, notice Pharisees are intelligent. Pharisees are intelligent. We see they have convictions. We see they are separated. We see they are religious. And number four, we see they are intelligent. 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, we find Paul talking about his time when he was a Pharisee. Uh, you may remember that when Paul was giving his testimony um, before the Roman court, he called himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. You know what Paul was saying? You paint the stereotypical Pharisee, and I was all of it. All right? Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 5. He said, of himself, he said, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. Listen to this phrase. As touching the law, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Notice how that even Jesus knew and recognized the intellect of the Pharisee. Um, John 3, 1 tells us that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. John chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, the Bible says, Nicodemus and saith unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, said unto this Pharisee, Art thou a master of Israel? You know what Jesus is doing to Nicodemus here? He's recognizing the intellect of Nicodemus. He's pointing out that Nicodemus, he knew Everything there was to know about Judaism, he had it mastered. All right? He says, Art thou a master of Israel? It's commonly believed that one requirement to being a Pharisee, at least back in this time, was that you had the first five books of the Bible, our Bible, or the Torah, memorized. That's crazy. That is quite an accomplishment. Uh, if you've got a, an IQ at 100 or lower, you're not memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Uh, it's just not happening. In fact, if you have a high IQ and you're not disciplined, it's still not happening. You have to have a high IQ and, or a, a above average IQ at least, and you have to be very, very determined in order to get that down. To get all five books of, of the, the first five books of the Old Testament memorized, I'd just be honest with you. And I'm a pastor, and I have a degree in, in theology. When I get like halfway through Leviticus, I, I'm working just to read it, much less to memorize it, right? And these guys, they had it all down. Um, that takes some serious dedication. That takes some serious devotion. That also takes quite a bit of mental capacity or intelligence to the Pharisees. I would like to praise you for taking the time to memorize the Bible. I would like to commend you for your attention to detail and your parsing of Scripture. We see that Pharisees have convictions. They're separated. They're religious. They're intelligent. Number five, notice they preach truth. They preach truth. Turn over to Matthew 23 where we began tonight. Matthew 23, look, look at verse number 1. Matthew 23, look at verse number 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Look here, these are amazing words coming from the mouth of Jesus. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe... That, observe and do. You know, if the Pharisees were teaching the wrong message, Jesus would not say, observe and do. He says, everything they're telling you to do, you need to do it. You need to observe it and do it. You know why? 
Because when the Pharisees stood up and preached, for the most part, they had it right. They had it right. They were preaching truth. To the Pharisees, I would once again commend you for, for teaching and preaching the law. I would like to commend you for holding up God's law to the people and would like to praise you for encouraging them uh, through many different methods to follow the law. We need men and women who will grab hold of the truths found in Scripture and boldly proclaim them in life group classes or on street corners or on church buses and uh, on uh, uh, at the gas station with gospel tracts and uh, uh, with their with their friends, uh, with their children's friends in their home, wherever, like Brother Tom did, wherever we can find a way to get out the truth and to proclaim truth, uh, we need to do it every place. Someone will listen. Now, how many of you are confused right now? Right? I am praising the Pharisees. I am singing their praises. You know, everything I've said so far is true. We've looked at the Bible and we've seen that everything the Pharisees did, boy, um, at least to this point, I have not said anything I believe to be erroneous. All right? But you probably didn't expect to come to church tonight and hear your preacher pour down praise on the Pharisees. Buckle your seatbelts. The sermon's only halfway preached. All right, let's rewind. Let's go back to point number one. And let's look at the rest of the thought here. All right, Pharisees have convictions but are contentious. Pharisees have convictions but are contentious. Look at Matthew chapter 12. Go back to Matthew 12 with me. And look at verse number 9. Matthew 12 and verse 9. Speaking of Jesus, verse 9 says, And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogues. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him? And he saith unto them, What man... Shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. Now, the Pharisees' love for the letter of the law was stronger than their love for this man with a withered hand. They cared more about the letter of the law than they did people. Their love for their convictions zapped all compassion out of them. I genuinely believe that we need to stand where the Bible stands on all issues. With that said, there's no reason to be offensive to people with our stand. One preacher put it this way. He said, I will offend people with my position, but I will not offend people with my disposition. I will offend with my position. I will not offend with my disposition. We have a problem in fundamental churches around America today where preachers want to preach against people and not sin. One philosophy that I live by as a preacher is I will preach hard against sin, 
I will never preach hard against sinners. In fact, the only type of sinner I will preach hard at is a Pharisee, and that's it. Why did Jesus sit and eat with publicans and sinners? Was he hanging out? I've heard people say that. Well, Jesus hung out with publicans and sinners, so what's the big deal if I go to the bar? What's the big deal if I hang out? Jesus didn't hang out with anybody. You understand that term hanging out implies I got nothing to do. I'm just wasting my time with this group of people. Everything Jesus did, he had a purpose with. In fact, Jesus didn't go look for a group of publicans and sinners so that he could hang with them. The publicans and sinners came to Jesus because he had something to give them that was helpful. They were looking for him. He was a magnet for people because he was a physician that had a healing balm, and they were coming to get that healing balm. I'll preach hard against alcohol, because it needs to be preached against. But pray, tell me, what good does it do for Pastoral Journey to get up here and call alcoholics a bunch of names? does no good, except offend and run people off. I will preach against homosexuality until they lock me in jail and take my voice away. But I will not preach against homosexuals. I will not do it. I will never call a homosexual a single name. I will never put them down in any way. Because calling someone a name never accomplished anything ever. I will preach against sin until I am dead and gone. Or locked away and shut up. But I will never, ever, ever stand up here and use this pulpit or any pulpit to put down a person. Because the truth is that in my own way I am a sinner. Just like you are a sinner. And standing up here and being contentious and tearing people down and ripping people to shreds and calling people names and, and, and stepping on someone else's sin to make myself look better is contentious. It's convictions with contention. Convictions with contention. And I would say tonight that if you're someone who sits back and goes, I like a preacher who just tells it like it is. I like a preacher who gets angry every now and then. I like a preacher who has the vein pop out of his neck and just lets it fly. In fact, I like preachers who downright sometimes just say something that's mean. I would say that you like pharisaical preaching. Paul said in Ephesians 4.15, he said, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Oh, I will preach hard against sin. But I will never preach hard against sinners. Christ's sharpest sermons were at those who had convictions, but had no compassion. You sit there with that pharisaical on that pharisaical perch and you look down at people who don't hold to your convictions and you make fun of them and you mock them and you put them down. My friend, you're no better than the Pharisees in Jesus' time. Oh, you have convictions, but you have no compassion. Number one, we see Pharisees have convictions but are contentious. Number two, notice, Pharisees are separated but not sanctified. Pharisees are separated but not sanctified. Turn over to Luke chapter 18 in your Bibles. Luke 18. Hold your place in Matthew 23. We'll be back there in just a moment. Luke 18. And look at verse number 11. The Bible says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee. Look how pious this prayer is. I thank thee that I am not as other men are, 
extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I, look how many times he uses the word I in the next few verses. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Go back to Matthew 23 with me. I'll share my thoughts in just a moment. Look at verse 13. Matthew 23, verse 13. Jesus is ripping the face off the Pharisees. Jesus ripped off their heads and spit down their throats. Amen? He was lighting them up, calling them snakes, calling them vipers, calling them every name under the sun, uh, calling them out and just laying, articulating and, and just putting it all out there. If Jesus ever had a fire and brimstone sermon, it was Matthew 23. Right in the middle of his rant against the Pharisees, we find verse 13, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrite, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Earlier, we talked about the importance of standards. Having grown up in a home that had very, 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 very high standards. Um, to help you understand how high the standards were in, in my life growing up, if a commercial came on TV that had a backbeat in it, my parents made us mute the TV immediately. I remember one time, I was probably 14 years old, and a commercial came on TV, and a woman was wearing a low-cut shirt, showing too much skin. I was daydreaming in the, other, in the general vicinity of the television. I was daydreaming, not looking at it. Uh, and my dad came in, and his perception was that I was looking at this woman with lust. To this day, I'll go to the grave claiming this. I was not looking at that woman with lust. In fact, I didn't even know there was anything inappropriate on the TV. But my dad informed me there was something inappropriate on the TV, and I got a, I got a whipping for that. I got a whipping for that. Amen, you got a whipping? Amen. I got a whooping for that. It wasn't my mom, it was my dad. Standards were held high in our home. Um... My mom and sisters did not wear pants ever, not even around the house, not even to bed, not even to bed. Pants on women in my house was an utter abomination to God. Standards were just held really, really high in my home. I can remember going to being part of all the Christian schools I were a part of growing up. The girls that played on the volleyball team and basketball team they played basketball and volleyball in knee-length, bottom-of-the-knee, knee-length culottes. How many know what culottes are? How many have no idea what culottes are? All right. These are the people that got saved and came to the Baptist movement later. Um, culottes is basically a big baggy skirt that's got, uh, a, it, it, that hugs, it comes around both legs. And, um, um, I mean, the standards were held high. I grew up with a lot of standards. Look, I didn't use curse words growing up, and I didn't use slang words growing up, right? Um, 
Words like golly, gee, gee whiz, totally off limits. My mouth would get washed out with soap if I even used one of those words. We had standards that were super, super, super high. And not all of these standards I'm mentioning to you, but many of them I have in my home. Now, not all of them, but many of them I have in my home. And you know what? Uh, the standards were, were put there to help protect us and keep us from sin. But can I tell you what I saw when I was in an environment where these things were the norm? Is that many people held to these standards and they based their spirituality not on their walk with God. They based their spirituality on how much better they were than everyone else. Well, I'm, I'm not like that person over there because, you know, I don't go to the movies. Well, yeah, but you're renting from Blockbuster. And how many remember Blockbuster? <laughs> but you're renting from Blockbuster and taking it home, and you know, six months after it was in the theater, you're. But you're holier than thou because you don't go to the movies, right? Um, the problem it what for the Pharisees was that, oh yes, they were separated. They wouldn't eat dinner with sinners and publicans. They wouldn't be identified and associate with them. And outwardly they had it all down. But inwardly they were wicked, wicked, wicked. And God said, You're separated, but you're not sanctified. You're separated, but you're filled with evil on the inside of your heart. You know how to put on a good show for anyone who's looking, but when no one else is looking in private, you are a wicked, wicked mess. The problem with standards, and I'm for standards. Okay, let me say that again. I'm for standards. But the problem with standards, the trap that we can fall into with standards, is we get this false sense that I'm better than others that don't hold to my standards. Do you know that God uses people that don't have any standards in their life? Our church has got some pretty high standards here. We've got a dress culture that I enjoy, and I'm, I'm glad that we have. We have a music standard here that uh, is well on the conservative end. But do you know there's churches around the country today and even in our area that had women not wearing so modest clothing up leading worship with rock music in the background? Well, that's not going to happen while I'm the pastor, but can I tell you that after those women sat down, the Word of God was preached and people got saved. <gasps> you know, God can use them too. Remember the Pharisees gathered a stone that woman caught in adultery? Jesus bent down in the sand and he began to write. I've always wondered what Jesus wrote in the sand. Don't you want to know what Jesus wrote in the sand? I think he probably wrote out the sins of the Pharisees one at a time. And then he looked up at him and said, He that is without sin cast the first stone. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to be shocked at who's there and who's not there. We're going to be shocked at who God used. And who did God didn't use? You see, Pharisees, they're separated, man. they got standards everywhere. But they're living wickedly on the inside. Their reputation is intact, 
but their character is a disaster. Number one, we see they have convictions but are contentious. Pharisees are separated but not sanctified. Notice number three, Pharisees are religious but not righteous. They're religious but not righteous. Look back at Matthew 23, look at verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe on uh, of mint and anise and cumin. Those are, uh, I'll explain that in a minute. And have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have done, and not to leave the other undone. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Here, here the Pharisees are. They get a gift of, of, of spices. They get a, a gift of herbs. And they take their herbs and they lay them out on a table and they get a measuring tape or they get a scale, if you will, and they weigh and they move over a little bit enough and they measure out exactly one-tenth of the herbs they've gotten and they make sure that they follow the law to the very letter. We're going to make sure we tithe on all of even the spices that we get, on the herbs that we get, but they're omitting those things that are far more important, which are what? Judgment and mercy. That's that, that's that mercy and truth we've talked about here lately. And faith. He said, uh, Jesus says, listen, you have the emphasis on the wrong syllable. You're focusing on tithing on these little tiny things while you're leaving these big gaping holes in your Christian life. Judgment and mercy and faith are completely being left ignored while you're over here measuring out herbs down to one-tenth to give it. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, uh, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in, in thy name God done many marvelous works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Ye that work iniquity. There are going to be a lot of people who are very religious and split hell wide open. Split hell wide open. Oh, I'm not just talking about people that attend non-Baptist churches. I'm talking about people who are sitting in independent, fundamental, Bible-preaching, snot-slinging, hellfire-and-brimstone-preaching Baptist churches. They're going to split hell wide open because they hold on to these rules and they hold on to a certain behavior and they think that because they're religious and they can hold up their religious activities that somehow they've earned favor with God and God is going to look at these people who taught Sunday school classes and ushered and watched nurseries and put tithes in offering plates. He's going to look at them and say, Depart from me, ye worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Why? Because they're religious. Oh, they're faithful to church. Uh, I praise God that at White Oak Baptist Church we have good, good deacons. This church has had uh, godly deacons who have supported the pastor for 40 years. I have never heard of a deacon who sat on the deacon board of this church who is not a godly man. I praise God for that. But I'm going to tell you, White Oak Baptist Church, that is not the norm in Baptist circles. In fact, many churches don't call them deacons, they call them demons. Demons, the demon board. Because the deacons do nothing but run the pastor. They don't let the pastor run the church. 
They don't let the pastor pastor the church. I've heard of churches where deacons will, uh, pastors have to run past the deacons every single penny they spend before the deacons will let it go. And the, the, they have to run every sermon they want to preach by the deacons before the deacons will let it go. And, and they have to sit and meet with the deacons about every decision they want to make uh, before the deacons will, will let it go. And they handcuff the pastor and keep him from doing what's right. And these men oftentimes are carnal. And let me be clear, I'm for accountability. I'm for making sure the pastor doesn't have ultimate authority that just goes unchecked. But I am not for a carnal man who want to stand between a man of God and, and, and the vision that God has given him to lead a church forward. I'm not for deacons that want to stand in that way and hold that man back from leading the church forward. Deacons that Satan can use to hurt a church ministry because they are religious, but they are not righteous. Now, you may not be here. You may be here tonight. You may not be a deacon. But can I say that you don't even have to be a deacon and you can still hinder what goes on at church because of your pharisaical religious activity. My friend, God is far more interested in you being righteous than He is you being religious. Look with me at Matthew 23. Look at verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayer. Therefore, ye shall receive the greater damnation. What's Jesus talking about here? These Pharisees apparently were involved in some sort of real estate market. They were involved in some sort of rental scheme. They must have been landlords or, or, or something of the nature. And they had no problem foreclosing on a widow and kicking her out. Uh, being a shrewd businessman making money. They had no problem mistreating a widow and hurting a widow. But yet they pray long prayers because they're religious. But they lacked righteousness. Notice here in verse 14 that the Pharisees had religion. But they did not have Christ's righteousness laid on their account. I've said this many times. The word religion is found uh, four or five times in the Bible. Only once is it mentioned in a positive way. All the other times you find the word religion in the Bible, it's mentioned in a negative way. God does not want you to have religion. He wants you to have a relationship with Him, and He wants you to be righteous. Take religion and put it where it belongs. Religion is a tool of the devil. And there are people who say, well, I don't believe in organized religion, and so I don't go to church. Listen, church is God's plan. Church is what keeps us accountable to one another. Church is what helps. It's a spiritual hospital. It's a sports team, if you will. It pushes us. It helps us to be at our best. It is our body that we're a part of. And praise God for the local church. And uh, listen, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because there's some hypocrites at church, just because there's some Pharisees at church, doesn't mean that you should quit going all together. By the way, that, that uh, mentality doesn't work anywhere else, does it? A couple of weeks ago, I needed oil uh, over at the house next door. And so uh, I... I ordered some oil, and the gentleman showed up to deliver it, and I was giving him cash on site, and, and I invited him to church. And he said, oh, I gave up on organized religion a long time ago. He said, I believe in God, don't get me wrong, but I gave up on organized religion a long time ago. I said, well, well why was that? Why is that? He said, oh, because church is filled with, with hypocrites. And I got a big smile on my face, and I said, well, I'm a pastor, and I'm a hypocrite. And he looked at me. And I looked back at him and I said, everybody's a hypocrite. 
I said, everybody on some level is a hypocrite. I said, probably in your own way, you're a hypocrite. And he put his head down. He said, yeah, you're probably right. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you think at Walmart there are any cashiers that are hypocrites? I said, do you shop at Walmart? And he looked back at me and said, yeah. I said, well, I don't because I shop at Target because there's no hypocrites at Target. (laughs) And he laughed. I said, um, I said, uh, I see you're a sole proprietor, right? You run your own company. I said, do you deliver oil at the house of hypocrites? He said, I get your point. I said, look, you can't exclude. I said, church shouldn't get the axe when nothing else gets the axe over hypocrites. Right? Don't you ever say, well, I'm not going to church anymore because there's hypocrites at the church. That's like saying, I'm not going to the gym anymore because there's fat people at the gym. Okay. Church is here as a spiritual hospital. You're going to get some people that are spiritually sick, some people that are spiritually out of shape. Uh, Look, can I just say that all of us are bent this direction, are we not? We all want the acceptance of each other. If you came in the back door or came in the door to church tonight and someone said, how are you doing? And you actually told them the truth, they'd probably stop talking to you, wouldn't they? We all come in and we put on a good front because we want people to think the best of us. And there's nothing wrong with that on some level. It is wrong. We act like we're godly, but then we go right into the world and we're living a life of sin. I'm going to go ahead and go here. I'm going to get real specific. If you show up to church Sunday night and you listen to the Bible and then you get in your car and go home and turn on the Super Bowl halftime show and watch it, you're a hypocrite. Christians have no right watching that filth. No right watching that garbage. And that is music straight out of the pit of hell. And no Christian has any right putting that in their ears. Christians have no right watching and haven't since, I don't know when, in my lifetime, the the halftime show has been nothing but filth. You go to church and act like you're all godly and religious and righteous, and then you go home and, and, you, and, and you, you turn that filth on and you put that in your ears, my friend, you're, you're a Pharisee. Religious but not righteous. Number four, they are intellectual but, not, uh, but lack integrity. Pharisees are intellectual but lack integrity. Go back to Matthew 23, look at verse number 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter. Within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are likened to whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also... Uh, outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You remember the story of Samuel when he went to uh, Bethlehem in search to anoint the next king of Israel? He walked into Jesse's house. God told him, I want you to go to Jesse's house, and you're going to anoint one of his sons to be the next king. And so Samuel walks in, and the oldest boy, Eliab, was standing there. And, and Samuel thought to himself, man, this guy, I mean, he's... He's, he's, he's tall, dark, and handsome, right? He, 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 he's, this guy's perfect. Right? He's fit, he's strong, he's smart, he's articulate, he's got it all figured out. Uh, this has got to be him. 
And God said, hold, whoa, hold on here, hold your horses. Well, then what, what does the Bible tell us? Man sees the outward appearance, but what does God see? God sees the heart. All of David's brothers, one at a time, were brought before Samuel. And in every instance, God said to Samuel, man sees the outside, but God sees the heart. Hey, you know, I think that churches are filled with people who are really smart. Churches are filled with people who know how to talk through Bible doctrines. They know how to parse truth. You can ask a Pharisee to teach a life group and give them any topic, and, and boy, their, their material will be laid out great. They'll, they'll have it all there, and they'll, they'll know how to uh, uh, give it all. They, they can write their alliterated outlines, right? And, and they, 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 can, they can move you with their words, and they can move you with their thoughts. But what's really going on where only God sees? I made reference earlier to character and reputation. Character, uh, reputation is what other people think you are. Who other people think you are. Character is who God knows that you are. Who are you when no one is watching? You walk into a store and there's no one from the church there. Something doesn't go your way. You let that cashier have it. Start calling them names and putting them down. Man sees the outward. God sees your heart. You slip into church and act like you've got this great marriage. But at home, you're hurting your marriage. And you're, you're being belligerent in your marriage. And kids, you, you act like you're some great Christian in front of your parents. But you're taking God's name and cussing and, and cheating on tests at school and you're an employee and you tell everyone you're a Christian but you're cheating the company out of either work effort or or money or you're being dishonest in some way you cheat on your taxes by the way it's tax season don't cheat on your taxes amen be honest God does not care how smart you are he gave you your brains. He's way smarter than you. By the way, at any moment, God could drop some bacteria in your body and completely debilitate your mind. Anytime He so chooses. God's not looking for smart Christians. He's looking for Christians who are integrous. God does not care about your reputation. You and I care about our reputation. God cares about our character. The Pharisees, man, outwardly, man, they walk around. Uh, they got it all together. They, they stand up in the temple and pray, and everything's, wow, man, listen to that guy pray. I heard about the, uh, I've never done this to someone, but I've been tempted a couple of times. Uh, Lee Robertson, pastor of a large church down in uh, Tennessee. In fact, at one point he had the world's largest Sunday school. He, um, he called on one of the men in his church to pray. man comes behind the pulpit, and uh, the guy's going on. Prayed 30 seconds, prayed a minute, prayed two minutes. He gets past two minutes. Brother Robertson's sitting on the platform. Brother Robertson gets up, puts his arm around the guy, and interrupts his prayer and says, Sir, if you want to uh, pray your private prayer life in front of everyone, we're not interested. Go sit down. 
right? This guy's praying this big fancy prayer. When I was up Matthew in April's age, I'd sit in church. We had a deacon named, uh, uh, his last name was Green. I can't remember his first name. But all the deacons would come forward and they'd call on the different men to pray for the offering. And anytime they called on Deacon Green to pray, uh, me and my brother would sit in the pew and count how many times he'd use the word, Oh, Father, Oh, Father, Oh, Father. And uh, we'd get going on our fingers, right? And when we got past ten, me and my brother, we'd, we'd, we'd open our eyes in prayer and look over at each other and we'd smile real big. Right? Listen up. What I'm going to say might sting, but it needs to be said. I'm not just saying things that sting to, to be mean. I, I'm, I'm trying to cut you deep enough to you see where you're at. If you do more praying in front of people than you do in private, you are a Pharisee. If you know how to pray in church, but you don't know how to pray in private, you are a Pharisee. Because you're more concerned about what people think about your prayer life than your actual prayer life. God expects you on your knees in a prayer closet, on your own, talking to Him. And you don't actually have to have a prayer closet, but boy, you better have a time where you pray. Some of you have a job where you push a broom or... Uh, uh, move a mop for a living. You can pray while you're moving that mop. Some of you have a job where uh, you, you can mu- use muscle memory and you don't need to think a lot. Maybe you drive. I don't know what it is that you do. You can pray while you're working. Maybe you're in landscape or you're moving snow around. You can pray while you're doing these things. While you're uh, in route to work and on your way home from work, turn off talk radio because it's all slanted and biased anyway. Turn off talk radio and talk to God in prayer. You be the talk radio and you enunciate a prayer to the Lord. Amen? Amen? We need Christians who are more concerned about their integrity than their intellect. More concerned about their character than they are their reputation. Number five, notice they preach truth they don't practice. They preach truth they themselves don't practice. Look back at Matthew 23. Now let's go back to verses 3 and 4. And therefore, and, and all therefore whatsoever they, the Pharisees, bid you observe, that observe and do. Look here, this is a, this is a scathing rebuke of the Pharisees. But do not ye after their works. For they say, and do not. For they bind heavy burdens, and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They're really good at preaching sermons they themselves aren't practicing. In closing, God does not want your religion. He wants you to be righteous. God does not want you to follow some sort of a religious tradition. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. While He wants you to live with convictions... He wants you to do so while showing compassion on the lost. He wants you to be separated. But He wants that separation to drive you to sanctity. He wants you to have a pure religion. But more important, He wants 
to have a personal relationship with you. He wants you to intellectually understand the Bible, but more important than that, He wants you to be a man or woman of integrity. He wants you to proclaim truth to others around you. But more important than preaching the truth is He wants you to work hard to live out the truth in your own life. The only hard sermons that Christ ever preached to anyone were at the Pharisees. Every other sermon he preached was filled with kindness and compassion. If you're a Pharisee, you need your face ripped off. If you're a Pharisee, you need to be name-called. You, uh, um, uh, you need to be identified. You need to be flushed out of the church. Or you need to change. If you're doing your best to keep your heart right and tender before the Lord, then what you need is the compassion of Christ. I have, um, first two or three years I was the pastor here, I finished with this. I went through a little bit of an identity crisis in who I was as a... Um, not as a Christian, but who I was in this area of standards. I talked about being raised with all these standards in my life. and You know what ends up happening with standards is you just begin to think that, even though it's not always in the Bible, that's what's right and wrong. Legalistic, pharisaical attitudes come from that. That's one end of the extreme. But can I tell you the other end of the extreme is, let's throw all the standards out the window. Let's just all love Jesus. And you know what that leads to? That leads to carnality. I don't want to be a Pharisee. But I don't want to live a Christian life of carnality. Boy, I want to be a Christian that has standards that keeps me in line with Christ. But I don't want to worship those standards. I want to worship Christ. And I want to lead other people to do the same. Why do Baptist Church needs to avoid any sort of pharisaical attitude. I can sum up the sermon in one statement. Here it is. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Pharisee. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Did God put His finger on something in your life tonight? Some way did God show you where a little Pharisee is inside of you? I, I would hope that if Jesus came, if Jesus somehow were to come to White Oak Baptist Church and speak in our church, he wouldn't feel like he needed to preach a scathing sermon at Pharisees. I would hope he'd look out and see a room full of people that genuinely loved him. Is there a Pharisee in you? Well, let's deal with that tonight. God, help us to be people of the book. But Lord, help us to be people who are not only pleasant outwardly, but pure inwardly. Show us, God, where we are lying to ourselves and lying to others by having a reputation that is far out of line with our true character. Oh God, please, 
convict our hearts tonight. Help us to be a people full of compassion, full of Christ-likeness. In Jesus' name.